So about three or four weeks ago, Cliff came to me and said, could you preach on January 1st? And my first thought was, January 1st, really? Because we know that no one comes to church on January 1st. Just kidding. Um, So I began to think about, well, what do you say on January 1st? Because you want it to kind of be kind of encouraging for a new year. You kind of want to, um, you know, to be able to get across to people uh, that there's really hope out there. Um, Do you ever feel kind of hopeless in the world we live in today? I don't know. There's days I feel like that. Um, So I began to pray about, all right, Lord, what do we do on January 1st? How do I encourage people? How do I just give them kind of assurance that you're still in control of things for the new year? And uh, as I prayed, I began to think about, uh, oh, back, back in October, um, you know, as we're leading up to the election, anybody felt kind of dread at that particular point in time? I was kind of feeling kind of overwhelmed by everything. Uh, you know, I was looking at our society, and, and it's de-evolving at a faster rate than uh, things have done for years and years. And, and I felt a little bit of fear and, and a little bit of um, uneasiness start to creep up inside of me. And, and I knew that God is God, and he's still in control of everything, but still I had that sense of, and, and, and as I thought about it, I thought it wasn't so much for myself, but I thought about the generations that are coming up. Uh, what they're going to face, what they're going to be um, involved with. You know, I mean, we've got a world now where right is now wrong and wrong is now right and black is white. And, and my goodness, you know, I, I'm having a hard time just keeping up. So I was having this concern. I was a little bit worried about it. And um, honestly, to be very honest, probably a little bit of fear was creeping into my life. Um, I'm sure you guys don't struggle with those kind of things, but I know I do at times. And so one morning I was doing my devotions, and as I was doing my devotions, um, I had gone through and read the devotions I did, spent my time in the Bible, and spent some time in prayer, and then I clicked over to Fox News. I like to catch up on the news every morning after I do my devotions and stuff, and I still had this kind of feeling of overwhelmingness because there's so many things we just don't know. And I found this article from Max Lucado. And I just want to just share just part of it with you. This is Max Lucado, and he says, I have a prediction for November 9th of 2016. And this is what he says. I have a prediction. I know exactly what November 9th will bring. Another day of God's perfect sovereignty. He will still be in charge. His throne will still be occupied He will still manage the affairs of the world. Never before has his providence depended on a king, a president, or a ruler, and it won't on November 9th, 2016. The Lord can control a king's mind as he controls a river. He directs it the way he pleases. Proverbs 21.1 On one occasion, the Lord turned the heart of the king of Assyria, so he aided them in the construction of the temple. On another occasion, he stirred the heart of Cyrus to release the Jews to return to Jerusalem. Nebuchadnezzar, who was considered to be the mightiest king of this generation, but God humbled him and put him in detention for seven years. The kingdom is the Lord's, and he rules over all the nations. Understanding God's sovereignty over the nations opens the door to peace. When we realize that God influences the hearts of all rulers, we can then choose to pray for them rather than to fret about them. Rather than wring our hands, or we bend our knees, and we select prayer over despair. And I read that, and immediately, it all came together. 
I just had this peace and this calm. And I remember after this point in time, uh, the store I work in, a lot of people would be coming in and they would be really upset and they'd be really in despair about the election. And I was able, on more than one occasion, to be able to share what Max had said. And as a result of that, you could just see the demeanor of people just kind of change. They they would just kind of relax. Because sometimes we forget that God is still sovereign. And so this morning what I want to do is I want to talk to you about the sovereignty of God. Now, I've talked to a lot of people. They say I'm kind of crazy for talking about the sovereignty of God uh, because it's a tough topic. And there's a lot of things to deal with in here, and we won't deal with everything this morning. But I want you to understand, as we go into this new year, we can have assurance in this new year. Because God is sovereign. He has all this in his hands. There's nothing that will happen this year that God doesn't know is going to happen. But before we get into there, we probably need to define our terms a little bit. Because I'm one of those dictionary people, I always go back to Webster's Dictionary and define my terms because I want to know what I'm talking about. So let me share with you a little bit about the word sovereignty. First off, if you take the word sovereign, it can be both a verb and it can be a noun. From a verb sense, it means to rule. And from a noun sense, it means king or absolute ruler. To say that God is sovereign is to say that God is in charge of the entire universe all the time. In fact, the Westminster Confession says this, He ordains whatsoever is to come. In a nutshell, it basically says, God's sovereignty means that he's absolutely free to do as he pleases and to demonstrate his absolute power over the actions of all his creation. That's us. Or to put it another way, he permits for reasons known only to himself for people to act contrary to his revealed will but he never allows them to act against his sovereign will. And we see this in verse after verse after verse, and let me just share a few verses with you in Scripture. As soon as I get my notes right. That's what happens when you keep going through your notes and you keep getting them out of order. Proverbs 19.21 says this, Many are the plans in a man's heart, but it's the Lord's purpose that will prevail. In Lamentations 3.37, it says, Who can speak and have it happen if the Lord has not decreed it? In James 4.15, you ought to say, If it's the Lord's will, we will live and do this or that. In Job 42.2, I know that you can do all things. No plan of yours can be thwarted. And in Psalm 115.3, Our God is in heaven, and he does whatever he pleases. Now, that's just a few verses in Scripture that really point out the fact that we're really not in charge. We think we are, but we're really not. In fact, I love it, Proverbs over and over, and says, you can make your plans, but God's going to have his way with it. It's going to happen because God does it. So I can sit there all I want and plan and plan and plan and plan and plan, but if that's not what God's plan is. A few years ago, uh, Sandy and I ended up in Canada wasn't where we were planning on going. But God's plan was for us to be in Canada. And it came about, even though we tried several times to close those doors. The first time they approached me, I said, no, 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 everything's good, I'm all good. Don't want to go to Canada. It's cold up there. You don't get down to minus 40 up there? And as soon as I thought I had it, 
I get a call from the pastor up there and says, okay, I got it all worked out for this year. How about next year? So we ended up in Canada for a five-year period of time. See, we can make our plans, but God controls it. Let me give you five practical truths about God's sovereignty. Number one, the sovereignty of God is a very humbling doctrine because it reminds us that God's in control and we're not. Number two, it's an exalting doctrine because it gives us a big view of God. Many of us struggle with our view of God because we have too small of a God. I think one of the biggest problems in the church in North America today is we've got God in this nice little neat box. He fits into all the specifications and all the realm of knowing that we want him to fit into. Except what I've learned about God is he doesn't fit into a box very well. And as a result of that, if your God is too small, how are you ever going to see the big picture? So it's an exalting doctrine. God's in charge. Isn't that an awesome thought? Number three, it's also a mysterious doctrine because it brings us face to face with the problem of evil and free will. If God is sovereign, why is there evil in the universe? If humans are free, if humans have free will, how can God still be in control? These questions have been debated for centuries, and I'm not going to sit there and go through them today because we don't have enough time, unless you'd like to stay for a day or two, or three, or four. There's a lot of things about God's sovereignty that we don't understand, and that's okay. And like I said, theologians have been debating this kind of stuff for years. You know, is, is God sovereign or do we have free will? So are you a Calvinist or an Arminius? How do you like those words? I've decided I'm a Calvinist. Because I believe that God is sovereign and I believe I have free will because my Bible says so. So how does that all fit together? When we get to heaven, we'll talk to God about that one. Because I don't know. It's a clarifying doctrine because it teaches that there's no such thing as luck, chance, fate, or coincidence. Boy, I was lucky today, were you really? There's no such thing. If God is sovereign, there's no such thing as fate. What the stars say or the cards say. Forget that nonsense. Because you can't have God in chance. God is either sovereign or he's not. It kind of reminds me of a story about a cowboy I read one time. He went out to apply for some health insurance. The agent asked him had he been in any accidents in the previous year, and he said this, No, but I was bit by a rattlesnake, and a horse kicked me in the ribs. That laid me up for a little while. And the agent said, Weren't those accidents? And he said, No, they did it on purpose. See, he recognized that life isn't an accident. There aren't, you know, God's sovereign. He's got this together. And finally, this is an empowering doctrine. Since God is in charge, no mere human can intimidate you. You can live your life with boldness and confidence without fearing anybody or anything. Since God is sovereign, we can trust him with our lives. So God is sovereign. So what does that look like in our lives today? Well, before I answer that question, 
let's talk about this God. Because let's look a little bit at God's character. Let's look a little bit at God's resume, as, you would, as we might say. So we get a kind of an idea of who this God is that we can depend on. Who this God is that is sovereign over all things. But let me share a story with you. This is a true story taken out of history. It's about uh, Andrew Jackson, Confederate general during the war, of the Civil War. And this is a, a, an amazing story. So let me share this with you. This takes place on July 21st of 1861, prior to the Battle of Bull Run. And as the glimmer of dawn breaks, Jackson calls out to God, asking that his will will be done. And almost immediately, things don't go well for the Confederate Army. They're outnumbered. They're outgunned. This is not a good thing. The Confederate line in front of Jackson is broken. The Confederate soldiers began to retreat, coming right into where Jackson's line is because he's the next line of defense. And the uh, Union soldiers are charging in. Let me share with you what's going on here. So the Confederate line broke. All-out retreat ensued. Several Confederate brigades ran to the next line of reinforcements, which was held by Jackson's brigade. Morale was all but gone as retreating soldiers swarmed over Jackson's position with the Union army hot on their heels. But then someone yelled over the din of the battle to the men, telling them to look at Jackson. At that moment, General Jackson was sitting erect in his saddle with cannon fire exploding all around him. His left hand was wounded by a musket ball. Nevertheless, he did not flinch. Word spread among the men, look at Jackson standing like a stone wall. They said, Stonewall Jackson would become his name from that point forward. Jackson paced his horse back and forth across the hazardous front line, shouting orders to charge as the musket balls pierced the air. His stunning bravery stirred the men to valor, and they turned to face an advancing Union forces with new resolve. At the end of the day, General Jackson returned to the battlefield to survey the losses. 111 Confederates dead, 373 missing. Weary and sad, Jackson knelt beside a dead soldier. And it was then that one of his captains asked him, General, how is it that you can keep so serene and stay so utterly insensible when a storm of shells and bullets were whizzing around your head? And Jackson replied, Captain Smith, my religious belief teaches me to feel as safe in battle as in bed. God has fixed the time for my death. I do not concern myself with that, but to be always ready whenever it may overtake me. In this way, the way of all men lived, excuse me, if this was the way all men lived, then all men would be equally braved. Think about that for a moment. What do we have to fear if God is really sovereign? Sometimes we worry about sharing our faith. Because what if? But if God is sovereign. So let's explore this God that we're talking about being sovereign, that we're talking about being in control of all things. First off, in Psalm 90, verse 2, it says this, Before the mountains were born, before you gave birth to the earth and the world, from eternity to eternity, you are God. Long before anything else existed, God existed. 1 Timothy 6.16 tells us that the only one who has immortality, eternality, trumps fitness every time. Basically, God has, God has always been there. Somebody says, you know, what came first? 
Well, God always has been, so I guess he did. So God has always been there. He's existed from the very beginning of time. We know this about God. God created all things. John 1.3 says, All things were created through him, and apart from him, not one thing was created that has been created. And Colossians 1.16 says, Because by him everything was created in heaven and on earth, the visible and the invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. So not has, only has God eternally existed, but he created all things. Colossians 1.17 tells us that he sustains all things. He is before all things, and in him all things are held together. And Hebrew 1.3 says that God has it all together. So, he created all things. He's eternal. He sustains all things. He's above all things. Isaiah 46, 9 and 10 says this, Remember what happened long ago, for I am God and there is no other. God is God. So when we think about this concept of, the, of God, and we think about the fact that he is... Um, over all things, we think of the fact that he is sovereign over all things. He's above all things. He sustains all things. He created all things. He's eternal. We also know that he knows all things. One of his character traits. Nothing that's going to happen this year is going to catch God by surprise. It may catch us by surprise, but it's not going to catch God by surprise. Another interesting thing about God is God can do whatever he pleases. Psalm 135.6, the Lord does whatever he pleases in heaven and on earth and in the seas and all the depths. Jeremiah 23.27, look, I am the Lord, the God of all flesh. Is anything too difficult for me? A few years ago, um, when Sandy and I were looking for a church, we went to a church over in Chino called Inland Hills. And the motto of the church at that point in time was, God's got this. And what they had done is they had a senior pastor who literally was up at the pulpit one day and felt really, really weak and barely made it through a sermon, went to the doctor, found out he had leukemia. And for a year, they believed that God's got this. And so it became the motto of the church. And we just happened to start going to the church about... I think the week after he got out of the hospital. And he got up and he preached his first sermon series. And the sermon series was called, guess what? God's got this. And he talked about how God had walked him through and led him through this year. And how God was in total control. Even when he was to the point where they didn't think he was going to make it, God was still in control of it. Now, that's hard for us to understand. Because sometimes we go through difficult things in our lives and we sit back and we kind of go like, but God, and we may not totally understand it. You know, if God is in control, if he's sovereign over things, why do bad things still happen to good people? Tough question. I don't have an answer for it. But what I do know is that God is still sovereign. We know that he orchestrates all things. 
And we know that he rules over all things. In Daniel 4, verse 34 through 35, the most powerful man on the earth at that point in time was King Nebuchadnezzar. And if you remember the story of King Nebuchadnezzar at that point, King Nebuchadnezzar was the mightiest king there ever had been. And he had this dream about a great tree. And this great tree stood above everything else. And if you think about where Babylon is, it's in the middle of Iraq. If you've seen any of the pictures of the scenes of Iraq, it's pretty desert there. So if there was this great tree that stood out, it would be a great tree. And in this vision, the great tree is cut down. And Daniel comes and interprets this dream for the king and says, basically what's going to happen, your throne's going to be removed for you for seven years. And you're going to end up being, living like a beast for seven years. A year later, one day when King Nebuchadnezzar is up on top of his palace in Babylon and he's looking over all of his city and all the kingdom that he has and he's thinking to himself, man, I am good. I have got this, man. Look what I've done. Look at my world. And the Bible says he immediately turned into a beast. And he went out and lived and foraged as a beast for seven years. He ate grass. And in Daniel 4, 34 through 35, this power, most powerful man in the world who has been brought to his knees by our sovereign God says this, But at the end of those days, I, Nebuchadnezzar, looked up to heaven, and my sanity returned to me. Then I praised the Most High and honored and glorified him who lives forever. For his dominion is an everlasting dominion, and his kingdom is from generation to generation. All the inhabitants of the earth are counted as nothing, and he does what he wants with the armies of heaven and the inhabitants of the earth. There is no one who can hold back his hand or say to him, what have you done? Nebuchadnezzar, this most mighty king, realized that God is sovereign. So we're going into a new year. What's your image of God? See, if your God is too small, the situations that come into our lives throughout this next year can overwhelm us, can take over. We begin to fret. We begin to worry. We begin to have fear. But if God is truly sovereign, then we can depend upon God. We may not understand why things happen, but we can count on the fact that he's still in control of it. See, I believe that God either allows things to happen, and sometimes when he allows things to happen, it's not necessarily a good thing. And I don't understand all that behind there. So if you're looking for a theological explanation, I don't have one. But I do know this, and I've come to believe in my life that God is sovereign over all things. Which brings us to two choices. Psalm 103, 19 through 22 says this, The Lord has established his throne in heaven, and his kingdom rules over all. Now, it doesn't always appear that way, but the word of God is the word of God, and therefore it's true. So we come down to two choices. We can either reject God's sovereignty and live in fear and be uneasy, 
feel despair and frustration. Or we can humbly accept God's sovereignty. Not that we understand it all. But that we accept God for who God is. See, I don't know what's going to happen this new year. And, I, and I'm concerned about it. I'm going to be honest with you. Because it affects all of us. It affects my kids and it affects my grandkids. But I do know this, that God is sovereign. So you have a choice as we go into a new year. You can even have the assurance that God is sovereign and therefore whatever happens is in his hands. Or you can choose not to believe that. When you get into Psalms uh, 103, 19 through 22, it says this, If God is sovereign, then, since God is in control, let the angels praise him. Since God is in control, let the heavenly hosts praise him. Since God is in control, let all his works praise him. Since God is in control, let everyone praise him. As we go into this new year, one thing that we can be assured of is that God is sovereign. Nothing will happen this year that will surprise him. Nothing that will happen this year will catch him off guard. He is in total control. And we need to keep our eyes on him. So I want you to think about it. What do you believe? Because it doesn't matter what I believe. I've come to the place in my life where I realize that God is sovereign. I don't understand it. I can't explain why bad things happen to good people. But I still believe that God is in control. So what do you believe? Let's pray. Father, your sovereignty is a difficult doctrine for us to understand. And Lord God, I'm sure I didn't do an overly adequate job of doing it, but I just really felt you laid upon my heart this fact that uh, to share it, that we can have assurance as we go into this new year, Lord God, that we can count on you, that we can trust you, that Lord God, you know exactly what's going to happen this year. And we can just keep our eyes on you and, and just depend upon you. And Lord, I ask that you would just uh, help us today to stop as we begin this new year. To put our lives back in your hands. Lord God, to look to you. Father, we praise you and we thank you for who you are. We thank you for all that you've done in our lives. We thank you for the love that you had for us, that you sent your son Jesus as we just celebrated his birth. Lord God, to live as a human being, to experience the things we've experienced, to die on a cross for our sins, to rise again on that third day. So that we could have direct relationship with you. Lord, we praise you for who you are. And I pray, Lord God, today that we would set in our hearts just a glimpse of your sovereignty. 
We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.